Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Ooh, is that pod on? Welcome to Next Big Hits, Broadway Bullet, Volume 7, for Wednesday, September 27th. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got a lot of great stuff on the plate for you today as we continue our nymph coverage, including the musical Three Sides. When Carrie walks down the street, she takes out half of London. J-O-B, the the hip-hopper, You seem to really love your man, Job, right? Sure! I've never met a guy whose mind is so bright! Sure, but have you Desperate measures. They're gonna hang me from a tree just for you. You think I don't love you? Well, darling, that ain't true. The screams of Kitty Genovese. In the night heading home. Aching. There's somebody we also have interviews with all three of the Broadway Idol finalists, and Marty Cooper is back from London to give his West End report in On the Positive Side. After this episode, we have one more episode to wrap up the New York Musical Theater Festival, and then we'll be doing weekly coverage on everything theater in New York, and we got some fantastic interviews lined up. As I said before, we got Hunter Foster and Donna McKechnie in the can, and we're also talking to a lot of great other interesting people and other shows. So make sure you keep subscribed. I'm sure, as you all know, theater, whether professional or not, is a community endeavor and requires so many people to get things done, and this podcast is no different. We definitely need you guys to help spread the word. If you see somebody and your friends, you know they're into theater, let them know how great the show is and tell them how to subscribe. I know some of you probably need some help figuring out how to listen or how to subscribe to podcasts. So spread the love and show your friend how they can listen to Broadway Bullet every week. If you've got an iTunes account... Make sure to take 30 seconds and give the show a great review. And I'd like to remind everybody that we do have some great stuff at the front page of our website, broadwaybullet.com. We've got Broadway news from broadwayworld.com on there. We've got the blog from Blogway Baby on the front page there as well. And remember, if you're looking for more information on any of the shows we talk about in this episode, you can go to broadwaybullet.com. Click on the Volume 7 podcast, and there will be links to everything. You can also go to nymf.org for the shows we are talking about in this episode, those shows in the New York Musical Theater Festival, which wraps up on Sunday, October 1st. So if you haven't caught any shows yet, make sure you get out and check them out. We're going to tell you later on in the program how you can stump the staff to win a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop. But in the meantime, here's one of the trivia questions that was submitted last week. We'll give the answer, and we'll announce who the winner of Stump the Staff is later in the program. But Brent Black asked, When the original production of Gypsy was trying out in Philadelphia, Oscar Hammerstein saw it and convinced Julie Stein and Stephen Sondheim to change Rose's turn. What was changed? Are you stumped? 
We'll have the answer later on in the program. But we're going to get on with the show with our first interview and song selections from the New York Musical Theatre Festival. This is quickly becoming British Week on Broadway Bullet, as we've got some of the people involved with the musical Three Sides here with us, two of them fresh over from the UK. Would you like to introduce yourselves quick? Yeah, I'm Grant Holding. I'm the composer and lyricist and book writer on Three Sides. And I'm Caroline Sheen, and I play Carrie in Three Sides. And I'm Sharon Fallon, and I am the producer of Three Sides, and I'm not from the UK. <laughs> well, first off, why don't you start off telling us what Three Sides is about? Yeah, Three Sides um, is a British musical, so it starts in London on New Year with three characters. Carrie, who's a motorbike courier, Ant, who's a session musician, bass player, and Brian, who uh, works in the city. And they're all at a kind of crisis point in their life when they're, they're looking for something. They don't quite know what it is, but none of them are particularly happy. And as a, as a resolution, they decide to make a change. And the next day after New Year, they meet up in a lift. And the, the change they decide to make is to embark on a relationship. Both guys fall in love with, with Carrie pretty quickly. And Carrie's left with the decision of, of who should she go out with, Brian or Anthony. And she decides to, to mo not make a decision, but to see both. And the story follows, follows that story over, over a year. And as she still can't make a decision, and you see how they they change faces depending on who, who she's with and, and, and how they both see different versions of the same carry. And that's really the, that's the story. It's about how people interact with each other, how, how people change with each other and how different things influence your lives. It's a, it's, a, it's a small story with lots of detail in it. That's where the drama lies. Caroline, what's it like uh, two-timing on stage? <laughs> it's marvellous. I love the kind of things you can get away with as an actress. <laughs> it's hard work because... When I first got involved with the show a couple of years ago when we workshopped a really early version of it with actually the same cast as we have now, um, I, f I found it quite a challenge to make her appealing. And I think we've, we've added a few more songs since then which, which show her kind of inward dilemma. And, um, and actually I think she really is in a hard situation. She's in love with two guys. and and she's let herself get into this situation kind of by accident and um, so I think we've ended up with quite a sympathetic character quite a you know, flawed character but I, I do think people can empathise with her situation so um, she's a great character to play, she's feisty, she's fun, she's she gets to kiss two guys, yeah. <laughs> and um, as opposed to you, who don't seem feisty and fun at all. <laughs> no, I don't really. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I don't two time. I'm very, I'm very, um, I'm very loyal and, and stuff. What inspired the story? What... Um, well, it's I had written one musical before this, and then my collaborator actually moved to New York. And so I was left without a collaborator, and I'd only written music up until that point. And I decided to start work on a, on a show that I would write the music and the lyrics to. And I thought I'd make it easy for myself by just writing a review or a kind of song cycle. With no better place to start, I thought I'd start with a number three, seeing as I'd start somewhere in a kind of Sesame Street style -y. Start with number three, and, and I kind of I put a, a list together of about 30 songs all to do, or had three in there somewhere, and I thought, this is just, I'll just write a, you know, a whole list of songs, and we'll, we'll start there. And actually, some of those ideas for songs are still in the show. The three-minute premature ejaculation song, <laughs> three-minute man song, is in there. Um, the three people waiting for a lift is in the show. The, the, a song came out of it about a guy that had a relationship with uh, three fathers, three, uh, one real dad and two stepfathers. And, that, and through that song, I found a character of Anthony, 
and it, it seemed like a, a bigger... Actually, that song was in the show until about a year ago. But when I started looking at that character, I started to see ways through these other songs and, and kind of the songs started to link up. And then Clive Paget, who's directed this production, was dramaturg on it from the beginning and helped me kind of shape the story. And a lot of the three stuff got ditched along the way, but a story kind of came out of that. And I was interested in telling a story through song. Originally, it didn't have a book at all. Now it has some fantastic scenes by Toby Davis, who's a, a co-writer I work with a lot. He's just the funniest man and has, has come up with some, <laughs> some brilliant, again, very detailed and quirky stuff. I was interested in... You know, a lot of lyrics seem to be very general, and I wanted to, to tell a small story, but about tiny, tiny little quirky things that make these characters individual and, and not just your run-of-the-mill characters. Well, before we continue with the interview, why don't we play one of the songs from your show? Okay. Would you like to introduce them? Yes, it's a demo of the, the first title song of the show, the opening number, Three Sides. There's a new life waiting round the corner
Insights! So Sharon, what yes. attracted you to this project as a producer? Um, I fell in love with the music. I just thought the music was so stunning and not anything I'd really quite heard before. And Grant was telling such a great story through the music. I think the first script you sent me, mm. or the one that I got from Isaac, was didn't have any book. It didn't book. have any of the scenes. No, it we had, had no book. It was sung through. And I thought, well, this is great. I don't even need to look at the script. I got the whole story through listening to the demo. And I thought Grant was telling a terrific story about relationships and how people see each other and what Caroline was saying <laughs> earlier. What I thought was fascinating from a woman's point of view was what she was getting from both of these men. Mm. You know, Brian, the city worker, I, I call him the banker, was taking her to fancy restaurants and creating this really romantic sort of relationship with her and seeing the side of her that the audience doesn't quite see in her. And then Anthony being much more the musician, the bad boy, and taking her to McDonald's for a milkshake and taking her backstage to meet the rock musicians. And the way that appealed to her was fascinating to me because I think that, you know, we've all had relationships like that where we have people mm -hmm. in our lives who bring something to us and bring out a part of us. And that's what I loved about it. You'd say it's the, these quirky little things. Mm. But I felt these people were very real, and I could seriously identify with all but of them. The other thing about the show is that it's not a standard book musical in that it's more like, in a way, it's it's similar to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, in that the piece mm -hmm. kind of happens off stage. And what you see in the songs are the decisions or the consequences of things that are going to happen that you never see. And what Toby has done brilliantly with the book scenes is created, he's fleshed out the characters and you get to see them interact, but in a, in a slightly abstracted way. So they're not, so what you don't get in the scenes is, is the stuff that happens off stage, but you get a whole other kind of very contemporary thing where the three characters are having conversations that they would never be able to have in real life. Kind of almost commenting on it. Mm. Yes, and commenting on the nature of cheating and mm. the nature of being able to see somebody in many different ways. And that's what's, because people kept saying to me, what, what are those book scenes? And I said, they're, well, they're real. The two guys really aren't there. They're not meeting each other. Mm. But what it is, is for them to be able to talk about what it is that's really happening to them. And as you said, in a very abstract way. Mm. Yeah. I understand you've been blogging about the whole experience of getting the show ready and bringing yeah. the whole cast over. It's, it's, it's kind of, I was kind of inspired to do it because it's been such a bizarre experience, really, hasn't it, Grant? Yeah, it has. It's been because, a protracted experience as well. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 been, it's been hard work, but, you know, in a brilliant way. And I thought, I have to write about this because it is so bizarre. We're rehearsing in any space we can possibly find with as many of our creative and cast team as we can possibly get together on the same day, which ends up not being everybody all the time. And everyone's got their day jobs that they need to do and people have gigs that they need to go and do. And so it's just been a really interesting experience for, for, for people who are used to doing, you know, myself, JP and Mark, who are the two guys in it, we're used to doing, you know, very sort of organised, you know, led productions through commercial theatre and stuff. And this is something that we care about so much that we have to sort of squeeze any time that we can and, and, and work on it. So 
I've been I've been doing my first ever blog, and um, <laughs> thanks you know thanks to Sharon and for, and to Jeremy for you know putting it on on a website, which is which is great. The great thing is that about this car, apart from the cast being ridiculously talented and, and and wonderful wonderful people, is that they all have a long association with the show, so they've all been involved in workshops of the show or performed it at at theatres, you know, in proper productions. So they all have a real investment in the characters. They know the characters backwards. They help to you know they help to bring the characters alive and to and for me to see the characters early on and to work with them on that. So it really is the best possible cast you could see do the show. So when can they catch the show? Well, we're running now until the last, the last performance is on um, Saturday, the 30th of September at 4.30. And we've got six performances left. And we are at the 45th Street Theatre, which is at 354 West 45th Street. And you can also purchase tickets at the box office. Before we conclude, would you like to introduce the second song we're going to play from oh, yeah, this is This is a song called When Carrie Walks. This is... This is the point, this is sung by the character of Ant. The it's all about me. <laughs> it's always all about you, I can tell that. <laughs> this is all about how, how Carrie has affected Anthony and, and, and how he started to see the world in a, in, in a different light and starts to want to make changes in his life that he never thought were possible because of the effect she's had on him. All right, well, thanks for coming down and wish you the best of luck with the rest of your run. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. When Carrie walks down the street she sets a wave in motion It starts like a ripple But it soon can be felt On the other side of town When Carrie walks down the street She takes out half of London Like a domino rally When she turns her head Another twenty men fall down She doesn't seem to notice I guess for her the world is always that way She commands and you cannot help obey That's the wonder of Carrie When Carrie walks down the street Conversations falter And people start staring like you're walking along With Madonna on your arm No, not even Madonna it's like you're walking along Constantly surrounded by Christina and Britney Beyonce and Kylie and Madonna With all of them naked and on all fours And somehow you feel like you might be special too Like there's nothing you can't do when you're walking with Carrie It's scary like you're standing in the eye of a tornado In a good way though like after all these years on the back line I'm suddenly the front man Surely that's a good sign I feel I've joined the elite When Carrie walks down the street Carrie makes things happen And Carrie seems to bend the world around her Trains are never late Taxis always stop Everything runs like clockwork Carrie makes a difference A Carrie takes a risk Carrie speaks her mind Carrie makes you feel like you want to stay a while In one place instead of moving on Always moving on Packing case after case doesn't seem so attractive When you're faced with a woman who is fiercely proactive And can make you believe that anything is possible Right there, right here, right now
saw a funny, funny musical called Alter Boys. Everyone's raving about Alter Boys, the new musical comedy and winner of the Outer Critics Award for Best Musical. Just knocked us out of our seats. I couldn't believe the dancing. I find myself just smiling and I look around and everybody had this big smile plastered on their face. It's really funny. <laughs> funny. 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 Over the top. It's a musical that is absolutely hysterical. Really incredible. Unbelievable. The boys were awesome. I believe in the altar boys. They didn't even have to sing. They could have just stood up there. It's fantastic. 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 The Altar Boys give dynamite performances with infectious energy, raves the New York Times. Their songs are convincing enough to be on MTV. The critics agree, it's hysterical. Altar Boys, you'll laugh your mess off. All my expectations were fulfilled. <laughs> In boxing, everybody's always talking about the great white hope. In theater, that question might well be the great urban hope, as everybody's looking for a great hip-hop musical, and our next show we're interviewing could just be the answer. We've got three guys from J-O-B, the hip-hopra, here with us. How you guys doing? Good, how are Very you? Good. Great. Very good. <laughs> you guys want to take a second to introduce yourselves and what you're doing with the show? Sure. Uh, my name is Ellie Battalion. I'm one of the creators, and I'm also in the show. Okay. Uh, my name is Niles Levi Rivers. I uh, just got onto the show about uh, a month and a half ago. I'm in the show. Great. My name is Hassan Christopher. I'm co-director along with Stefan Novinsky and choreographer for the show. Tell us a little bit about J-O-B, the hip hop -ra. Well, basically, the show is an updated retelling of the Book of Job from the Bible, uh, but it's told in the modern day, and it's all set at this hip-hop record label that's really <laughs> screwed up. And it's, you know, it's basically the story from the Bible, but it's retold in terms of partially corporate politics and also, you know, art versus commerce, to what degree are you willing to sell out to achieve yeah. success? Uh, and it touches on a bunch of those themes. Um, now, the story of Job is a very tragic story, but this show is really wacky, uh, and it's a really strange twist on that story and a really different kind of retelling of that story. We like to describe it as kind of a hip-hop cartoon on crack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Adult right. Swim kind of cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So what is the history of the show? How long has this been in development? Uh, well, I co-wrote the show with uh, my partner, Jerome Sable, in 2002, and we started touring this actually on Canadian Fringe Festival circuit. But it was just a two-man show then called Joe the Hip-Hop Musical, and we actually brought it to New York at the Hero Arts Center in 2003 for a little, very brief installment of time. But uh, last year, we got together with Hassan and uh, Stefan, and we put together a much bigger show, much more ambitious show, which is this show. Yeah, uh, it went from a two-person show to an ensemble of five, an R&B diva, and a turntablist. So now, did everybody involved in this production come from Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah, everyone's... I guess travel from Los Angeles. Yeah, we're all yeah. from Los Angeles. <laughs> Actually, I don't think there's anyone who's a native Angelino. Except Marissa. Well, Marissa, yeah. yeah. Is there such a she's thing a as Pasadenean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's been some discussion on whether there is such a thing as a native Los Angelan. Yeah. yeah. They do exist. They do exist. They're actually very nice people when you find them. Right, interesting. It right. must have been a, quite an undertaking to get a large crew over here. How many people are involved with the show? Uh, it's quite a few. I think there was at least ten people that came over, so we uh, brought them all over on uh, JetBlue uh, and uh, <laughs> racked up yeah, our yeah. true blue points. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting, very surreal to rehearse a show in one city and do all that and then get on a plane 
and then automatically yeah. be thrown into a totally other yeah. scene. I mean, I think it's interesting yeah. to note that a lot of the people who are involved with the show are, are really quite established in their field, from the lighting to the directing, because they were really drawn to the content and the script. Mm -hmm. And so Writing is it's still in development, but everyone was really excited by the idea. And mm -hmm. so you have a lot of collaboration on the project, both on stage and off stage. Yeah, from a lot of different walks of life, you know. So it's <laughs> interesting. Now, is it straight up? hip-hop rapping throughout the whole thing? Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's a fusion of a few different things, hip-hop. You know, the beats are all hip-hop, but different styles of production from song to song. Uh, there is rapping, but there's quite a bit of spoken word, and also, because it's a fusion with traditional musical theater, there's quite a bit of, like, verse drama, so, so stuff like well. what you'll hear in the excerpt is sort of that verse drama, and, of mm -hmm. course, singing mm -hmm. uh, in a few different molds, especially the R&B mold. So, yeah, we sort of fuse together a bunch of things that are in the hip-hop and R&B yeah, general cool. uh, spectrum. And what's the staging concept like for the show? Well, when I first saw the script, you know, it was originally designed for two spoken word rappers. So we were like, okay, you want dancing where? <laughs> and so <laughs> a big part of the please. process right, right. <laughs> big part of the process was figuring out how to bring to life the visual components. They, there's a lot of images in the script and how do we bring those out and to make it visual storytelling as well as, you know, all the verbal uh, wordplay. So my goal is to have people see the show, and if they couldn't understand it, to still say, I could enjoy it visually, you know, they can still get the story. So that's where this, that's the staging concept. Yeah, I guess that, that is an interesting point. Like One of the main shows I felt that incorporated hip-hop that really worked well was Bombity of Airs. Mm. But even still, I think one thing, you know, in normal musicals, when the song hits, it slows, time slows down, in a, in a right. sense. Right. And in hip-hop, it's it's often quite the reverse. The yeah. Yeah. Press, all the words. Yeah. Compressed, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, if you don't have the tempo uh, high enough on certain songs, then you're just not doing hip-hop justice. So you have to find a middle ground. Uh, obviously, there's some slower hip-hop songs, but, you know, you have to find the middle ground of what's going to sound like legitimate hip-hop that you can get into, and at the same time, will you be able to hear the words? Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's pretty challenging. You know, it's, it brings up a really interesting point of how do you watch the show, and I feel like I've seen the show, of course, I don't know, maybe a hundred times at this point, if not more, and I still hear new things in it. And I think if you come to the show expecting to get it all the first time, yeah, you'll get the general story. But to get all of the nuances... Yeah, nuances don't even bother. The yeah. rip don't <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's about, the you know, like you listen to your favorite song. You're always hearing new things, you know, so... Mm -hmm. So when can people catch the show? Uh, they can catch it tomorrow, uh, Wednesday the 27th, uh, and it's playing only until Sunday, October 1st, uh, and they can catch it at the 45th Street Theater. Before we go here today, we're going to uh, do a quick live recording of the two of you performing a number from okay. the show uh, in the studio here. All right. So, for a bit of the beats, of course, not live, but your guys' performance is going to be live here. Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the song we're about to Record? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we'll be doing is, this is, uh, there are two characters that you'll be hearing. One is Louis Saphir. He's the vice president of finance at Hoover Records. He's the devil character, a.k.a. Lucifer. And he's going to be making a bet with Jonathan Hoover, or Jehovah, Jehovah, uh, <laughs> who is the CEO of the company, about the loyalty of his right-hand man, the head of A&R, Job Lowe, or Job Lowe, if you will. Uh, so he's going to basically be saying to him, look, if I remove everything that you give Job because he's your favorite guy at the company, then he's going to curse you up. So this is a long musical version of what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for stopping down here. Thank Wish you best of luck in your run. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay.
All right, let's do this. That's enough, quit it. Back to work with it. Got to get busy. Nah, I'm too dizzy. Got a minute. What's the matter? Can we talk? I says yes. There's been something I've been meaning to get off my chest. It's been bottled inside and it's throttled my pride. But now my motto says I ought to share what's hot on my mind. Have you got some more time? Sure, Lou. What is it? Is it the missus? Must we revisit what is in my closet? Anyhow, now onto your entourage. I want you to contemplate a phenomenon as of late. It's gone on and on passively. You seem to really love your man, Job, right? Sure. I've never met a guy whose mind is so bright. Sure, but have you noticed his proposals as of late are sort of risky? His devotion to the label makes me know he's always with me. What if I told you that everything he does is for one reason, the classification of which is immoral we call that treason. He's selfish in nature, his wealth and his stature are all that please him. His annual paycheck and perks are what keep him down on his knees for you. Me? You, the president. Who, me? Hoover. The record man, please wake up and understand that he just loves you for the cash. Hold on, have you got mental man? Don't be so sentimental man, he loves you for his dental plan. Sophie, how dare you be so rash? Hey. Don't you see how much you pay him? Job's got ten weeks of vacation. Add on three percent of shares and see who he even compares with. What makes you think you can doubt me? You know you're nothing without me since day one. You've always questioned when will you stop second guessing? Ha ha. The bottom line, Hoover, the bottom line. You think he's loyal, but I think you've lost your mind. Don't, don't you see that if, if he must remit every benefit, then who throw a fit, and he wants to quit, he's a hypocrite who doesn't give a spit. I don't buy one bit, you're inveterate rhetoric. It's competitive, you're a prick. You don't get it, it makes me sick. He's a veteran. If, if we can make a little bet, Test your precious teacher's pet To see who really is correct No sweat No way Okay Have it your way, you bourgeoisking At the end of the day, it's your whopping Confidence that rain or shine His competence is genuine And when you look into the eyes Of this bold young gun, Mr. Lowe Remember this and realize That since you fold, we'll never know Freeze! Clear my throat. Uh, 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 uh. Are you trying to suggest that Job is only his best because of how he's been blessed by success? I'm afraid it's a yes, and I propose we invest in what I've come to express as a test. Mm. You want me to let you take away his car and remove his share and see if he's mod? We'll demote him and deprive him of his perks and see if he works as hard. Uh. And of course, we'll also take away his job. What? Don't push me, cuz I'm. Close to the edge, do what you will, but you must pledge. <laughs> you can maneuver, my guy, but just be sure, my guy, remains a hoover. You can maneuver, my guy, but just be sure, my guy, remains a hoover. Fine, 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 fine. fine. fine.
Marty Cooper has 25 years' experience working in the heart of Broadway at Colony Music. He's seen and met just about everybody, and he likes just about everything. As he said, he even liked Lestat, which is why we have a segment every week where he stays on the positive side. Hey, it's Marty Cooper back uh, on the positive side. I'm back from jolly old London. Had a great time. Ate too much. Didn't get enough sleep. Was in a theater many times. I caught two performances of Les Miserables. In actuality, if we count a concert we saw on Friday afternoon, a week and a half ago, it was three times because uh, they had a concert celebrating the 21st anniversary for the BBC at the Mermaid Theatre. And that was great because they had a 75-piece orchestra and it sounded astounding. I believe Man for Man and Woman for Woman, the cast they have in London is the best I've ever seen, and I've seen the show many times. I saw Mary Poppins with Broadway's very own Gavin Creel, climbing up the stage, dancing upside down, climbing down the stage. He was absolutely phenomenal. Even seeing him doing a lot of Broadway things, I was totally surprised on the talent this man has. And the girl they have playing Mary Poppins, she was great, the cast was great, the kids were great. It's a wonderful show. I really hope it takes off on Broadway. My belief is that it'll do better in New York than it's been doing in London, because in London it's kind of a soft hit. They do 100% weekends, and they kind of fall off during the week. It's different from the happy musical you saw in the movies. There are some actual scary parts to it. The father is more abusive. Mr. Banks is more abusive than he was in the movie. He's a little more serious. So his transformation to a nice guy, you know, is even more astounding. And it makes you well up at the end. And you say, oh, my goodness, he's really a swell father. Enjoyed that totally. We love the amazing Billy Elliot. We've seen two kids do it. We saw one last year and one this year. And in fact, the one we saw this year, I think, is the brother of the one we saw last year. I think they have three or four different kids doing it. If all were as good as the one we saw, it makes for a great evening because uh, there's this dance at the end of Act One uh, called the Angry Dance. I don't know anyone who saw the movie remembers that every time he got upset with his family, he would go off and tap somewhere. And here he just has the stage to himself and he goes bonkers, and it is an incredible thing to watch. That'll be here in two years. Uh, they're going to Americanize it slightly. I don't think American audiences will understand the Margaret Thatcher bits or uh, things like that, so they're going to Americanize it a bit. I just hope they don't take the England out of it totally, because it remains, it should remain there. It's a great show. It's opening at the Imperial, I understand, in two years. In fact, they were saying that if High Fidelity is a hit, and it is still there in two years. That They're going to move that, and they'll put Billy Elliot in the Imperial. I think that'll be a big hit over here. I saw Evita, which is also Broadway-bound. The lady playing it is Elena Roger. She's Argentinian. She's about 4 foot 10, and I'd say about 80 pounds wet. But she has the greatest voice. When she sings the song they wrote for Madonna, You Must Love Me, She Breaks Your Heart. Philip Quast, who we know from the anniversary recording of Les Miserables, is incredible as Perone. We love the show, and we hope it takes off over here also. 
Well, that's about all the time I have for this week. I'll be back next week. Continue on with my London trip. Speak about Wicked, which uh, was very interesting. And I'll be back on the positive side next week. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, located at 49th and Broadway in Manhattan or on the web at colonymusic.com. Let Marty and his friendly staff help with all your Broadway cast, album, karaoke, and sheet music needs. Remember, you can always say, I found it at The Colony. Another one of our promotional partners is Ars Nova, located at 54th and 10th Avenue, New York. They've got a couple great events coming up this week. On Sunday, October 1st at 7 p.m., Donna Lynn Champlin finishing the hat. Following her sold-out performances at Ars Nova, Donna Lynn Champlin from Sweeney Todd returns for another hilarious evening of all new stories and songs, ranging from Broadway favorites to Irish classics to gospel and back again. And just in case you haven't heard, Champlin will encourage the audience to decide which of her tales of inspiring and embarrassing moments they would like to hear most. Musical direction is by Andrew Gurley. Immediately following that performance, also Sunday, October 1st at 10 p.m., Manuel Feliciano. In a double header with Sweeney Todd co-star Donalyn Champlin, Manuel Feliciano will beguile you in a rare and intimate evening of music with his soulful sounds and captivating charm. Manuel's other credits include Brooklyn, Jesus Christ Superstar, Cabaret, Saturday Night Fever, Whistle Down the Wind, Shock-Headed Peter, and Much Ado About Nothing. So, as always, a lot of great stuff going on at Ars Nova. Check them out at ArsNovaNYC.com. William Shakespeare goes wild, wild west in the brand new adaptation of Desperate Measures. I've got Peter Kellogg here, the writer and lyricist of Desperate Measures here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. So how's the run for Desperate Measures been going with Nymph? Uh, it's, it's been an experience. Uh, sometimes up, sometimes down, uh, sometimes both at the same time. Things go wrong. You know, that's part of the equity showcase thing. But overall, it's been very positive. Had some uh, good response in a couple nights, so we're pleased. All right, so do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what Desperate Measures is about? Yes, well, it's based on Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, and... Uh, it's a little less dark than that, I'm happy to say. We take the basic elements of the story, which is boy condemned to die, sister uh, who's a novice nun goes to plead for his life, but in this case it's out west. Uh, she's a novice nun in a Franciscan mission, and the duke is basically the sheriff. I, I thought the plot was very well adapted, and, and in fact, you know, if I had not known Shakespeare or, or not known as based on Shakespeare, I think it would have, you know, the plot flows very smoothly, nothing seems very odd about it on its own, which kind of brings a question I've always wondered to me, and I'm actually going to put a poll up this on our website for our listeners to see if, what they think. To me, it's actually almost kind of a turnoff when I see Adapted by William Shakespeare. Um, I, I, I don't know, I always feel like it's they're trying to excuse themselves for a weird, unbelievable story, or the fact that they're about to do something really crazy <laughs> you know, with it. But what do you feel are your reasons? As a, Do you think there is a benefit to well, I think there is because it gives you an angle. It gives you a you know an angle into people's heads. If people want to come because they want to see if you've destroyed Shakespeare or if you've been true to it, you know it make it gives it some interest. And and also Shakespeare was one of the great people for taking plots. Uh, Desperate Me Measure for Measure is actually based on you know a famous old story, and Shakespeare rung the changes that he had on it. And to me, it's interesting with every you know generation or iteration how you change that story. 
uh, and still make it work. And also, I just, you know, our, our logo, which you can't see on the radio, is uh, mm -hmm. Shakespeare with a cowboy hat on, which, you know, tells you it's going to be funny. You've written Anna Karenina, which is on Broadway. Yes, I have. And uh, what is the run like? You know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, from taking it from smaller showcase productions to building a show up and attracting attention, you know. Yeah, in the case of Anna Karenina, they actually made a big mistake. We went straight from a stage reading to Broadway, which I don't recommend to anyone. Um, it's actually a good process. Uh, Desperate Measures, we did a reading here in New York. Then we did a production in Dallas at the Dallas uh, Lyric Stage. Then we did a reading in Seattle. Then we did a production in uh, Apple Hall or Wisconsin. And now we're you know moving to the Equity Showcase stage. So we're doing it kind of learning things along the way. And you always make improvements based on what happens. All right. Well, before we go any further and, and talk a little bit more, would you like to introduce the first song we're going to play from Desperate Measures? This is It's Good to Be Alive, which uh, Max von Essen sings in the show, and it's fabulous. Uh, and in this case, it's Hunter Foster singing it on our demo, and he's also fabulous, so you can't lose. See that herd of birds riding through the blue Can't you hear their words calling out to you? Life is short, they sing Still we rush and strive For we know one thing It's good to be alive Cactus on the plain Wrestle with the dust Panting for the rain Just because they must Still somehow they grow, still somehow they thrive Could it be they know, it's good to be alive I'm not saying life is all sunshine and roses Sometimes it's hard to live But you must admit it's a bit more appealing than the alternative Hear the coyotes bay in the desert night Shadowing their prey, lusting for a fight Brawling tooth and claw, that's how they survive they know but one law It's good to be alive It's good to be alive One thing that struck me about this show is, I, I thought it was a very entertaining show, but it seems to me it might be a hard sell in New York, and to the urbanites and the sophisticates here, but coming originally from Montana myself, I see the show as, a, as having a great future with some of the regional theaters, community theaters, dinner theaters, it's, you know, has the western theme, it's got, you know, a small cast, some great characters, everybody's got, you know, something juicy to do in the show. You've done some work bringing this around the country, but does a show really need to have a big, you know, uh, not well, not a big, but have a good New York run to get the word out for those companies? I, I don't to think want it has to. You can have a successful New York run, but somehow New York gives it an imprimatur that you know the rest of the the country 
a lot of small musicals who really didn't do well, but you know did have a New York production, end up having you know productions in regional theaters around the country. So it does help. You know, I don't know if this show is dark enough or edgy enough for for off Broadway or off off Broadway, but. You know, if it did, it would help us sell it other places. It seems to me that Equity hasn't updated the rules for a long time, and with all the new multiplex theaters, off-Broadway theaters that are coming in, there's more and more theater spaces available, and I think especially even a lot more spaces in the 100 to 199 seat, which become a real Netherland and hard to feel, fill because after they hit 99 seats, it's no longer a showcase approved for Equity. That adaptation should be made to the rules to allow there to be, if not a gargantuan profit, at least an ability for a producer to put on an honest-to-God commercial run in a smaller house and have a chance at actually, you know, covering their expenses. Yeah. We actually write every show in response to the previous show we've done. The previous show we had ten characters, and people said, well, that's really too much for off-Broadway and not enough for Broadway. So we brought this one down to six. Uh, I think it, it could probably do well at a 199 or 299 but yeah, as you say, whether you make the profit... I don't think that would be the point. It would be to, uh, you know, make a profit down the road with other productions. Now, when producers take on a show and they do that, do they often get the rights to, you know, or a portion of the rights to subsidiary productions at yeah. regionals? And yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what the rule is off-Broadway, but if they do a certain number of performances, 21 or whatever, then they get a certain percentage, and ultimately they would get uh, 50% of subsidiaries, I think, is what they, they get. So it still can be lucrative for the producers to develop a show in the, New York with yes. the idea that it's going to be... For the visionary producer. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully somebody can take a look at it, because I, I, not, you know, not just your show, but I see a lot of shows, especially in the festival, that seem to be like, you know, a, a tough sell to, to sell a $65 off-Broadway musical theater ticket to, but that I think could probably do fairly healthy if there was a way to feasibly, you know, and logistically mount these shows for like a $25 to $30 ticket in a, you know, 200-seat house. Yeah. So hopefully some people will get on the ball and look at that. <laughs> Hopefully they will listen to your show and uh, recognize that opportunity. So do you have any other projects in the works? Uh, we have a show uh, based on the life of Nellie Bly, who was the first female reporter. It's called Stunt Girl. We just did a reading in Seattle. They went really well, and they're going to do a production of it in spring of 2008. And then we have this other show, Chasing Nicolette, which we just did. At, first we did at Westport, then we did at the Prince Theater, and... Our hope is to bring it to Broadway. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you, Peter. And now you've got to rush off to another performance of Desperate Measures. Desperate Measures has concluded its run, but hopefully, as we mentioned, people will get a chance to catch it all over the country at some point. Uh, would you like to introduce the second song we're going to play? Oh, Which I have um, to admit was a real showstopper seeing it live. Yeah, this is just for you. Once again, Hunter Foster and Nancy Anderson doing it on the uh, CD. The lyrics have changed a little bit from um, what's on the CD, but it's the basic... Just. Well, what's happened is that Johnny Blood, who's sentenced to hang and is waiting in prison, gets a visit from Bella, who has now slept with the governor, and each of them is upset with the other one because each one says, uh, I love you more than you love me. All right. Well, thanks for taking some time to talk with us, and good luck with everything else you got on the plate. Great. Thanks, Michael. I slept with another guy just for you. Shot a man and watched him die just for you. Dressed myself up like a nun. Sounds like you had lots of fun, but I'm in jail for what I've done just for you. You say that you love me, but you don't have a clue. Your love don't come near what I do just for you. shows that you care all right yes it do i was good as i could be and i 
did it all for free They're gonna hang me from a tree just for you You think I don't love you, well darling that ain't true You have no idea what I'd do just for you I flirt with every man in town just for you They're gonna stick me six feet down just for you Every night I weave a spell on my wealthy clientele I'll probably end up in hell just for you You say that you love me, but darling, let's review You can't hold a candle to all the loving things I do Cause everything I ever do is just for, just for, just for I would risk my life again I'd sleep with a hundred men Cheerfully. Please don't be so good to me. If, if I, I did, did then, then it would be just for you. As I mentioned, I'm putting a poll up in the notes for this show's topic, so go to broadwaybullet.com and click on the Volume 7 podcast. My poll is going to be asking how you feel about it when you see a show is adapted from the works of William Shakespeare. I'm just kind of curious to see what everybody thinks, if it's a plus, if it's a minus, or if it's neutral. So you drop by, click on, and vote, and let me know what you think. I've been announcing the finalists for NIMP's Broadway Idol competition the past couple weeks, but we got a special treat this week as we have the three remaining finalists here for a quick interview. They're going to be doing their final performance to see who is the Broadway Idol this Friday, September 29th at the New World Stages on 50th between 8th and 9th. You're going to get to know one of these people a lot more, but in the meantime, we've got 15 quick questions with each of the three finalists, Jacqueline. Hubberman, Jameson Lindenberg, and Katie Thompson. First under the gun with our questions for Broadway Idol is finalist Jacqueline Hubberman, who goes by Jack. Where are you from originally? I'm from Natick, Massachusetts. I'm a mass hole. Where did you study theater or voice? I actually went to Harvard and studied psychology, um, but they have an amazing extracurricular theater program. Who was your favorite or most influential teacher? My current voice teacher, whose name is Noel Hart. He is amazing and surprisingly underutilized and not that well-known. He's just an amazing vocal technician. He has a lot of heart, and I just love studying with him. What is the favorite role that you have played? Uh, I played Judy Denmark in Ruthless, which was my favorite because it was hysterical, and I got to be sort of like a dowdy kind of quiet housewife in the first act and like a crazy diva bitch in the second act, which was fun. Great. Well, what is your dream role? I know it's kind of silly, but I've always wanted to play the narrator in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat just because you get to sing your face off. What is your favorite musical? Ruthless and Into the Woods. Good for you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your favorite musical theater performer? Audra McDonald. I love her voice. is unbelievable, and she has she's like dripping with emotion. It's gorgeous to watch. What do you find the hardest or most frustrating thing about auditions? Getting up early. Uh, (laughs) That really bothers me because I'm lazy. Um, The other hard thing is um, everybody's really skinny. What is the best day job you have held? (laughs) I've been pretty lucky. I've had the same day job since I graduated from college a couple years ago. I've been um, an SAT tutor with a private company run from the Upper East Side. I get to kind of make my own hours as long as they're afternoon, evenings, and weekends. (laughs) What is the worst day job you have held? I don't know. In high school, I did horrible things like, you know... Temp. <laughs> Temping sucks. <laughs> well, I got five quick questions to just, uh, okay. just Weber or Sondheim? Sondheim. Spamalot or Spelling Bee? Spelling Bee. Tony Braxton or Usher? Tony Braxton. <laughs> Playwrights Horizons or Roundabout? Roundabout. 
NYMF or the Fringe Festival? Oh, duh, nymph. <laughs> Was that oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for stopping Thank in. Thank you and so much. Best of luck to you this Friday. Thanks. Next up with the Broadway Idol finalists, we have Jameson Lindbergh. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks. How are you? All right. Well, we got the same questions here for you. First off, where are you from originally? I'm originally from uh, Clearwater, Florida which is just outside of Tampa. And where did you study theater or voice? I went to a really great performing arts high school uh, called the Pinellas County Center for the Arts, and I did four years of uh, training there. And who was your favorite or most influential teacher? Probably the principal of the art center, Ralph Nirmala. He's just such an amazing man. And then, of course, uh, my theater teachers, Karen Bale and Rhonda Beck. What is the favorite role you've played so far? I played an Irish nun, actually, in drag, uh, in Once a Catholic, and that was pretty fun role. So what would your dream role be? Probably an all-male, all-white version of Dreamgirls as Effie. (laughs) (laughs) Who's your favorite musical theater performer? That's probably a tie between Lilius White and Jennifer Holliday, but uh, Lilius has always been such an inspiration to me. What is your favorite musical? I've always really had a passion for uh, Parade and Ragtime. Uh, Those have been my favorite always growing up. And what do you find the hardest or most frustrating thing about auditions? Lines, waiting in lines, and trying to get to work on time and trying to cancel out of class or, you know, make your real life so that you can fit in an audition for the day. (laughs) What is the best day job you've held? I'm a nanny, and I've held that for about three years now. (laughs) So what is the worst day job you've held? A tanning salon. I worked at a tanning salon for a while. (laughs) And that was pretty pretty raunchy. (laughs) Okay, now we get five quick rapid-fire questions for you. So just say which one you prefer, Weber or Sondheim? Sondheim. Spamalot or Spelling Bee? Spelling Bee. Tony Braxton or Usher? Braxton. Playwrights Horizons or Roundabout? Oh, Roundabout. NYMF or the Fringe Festival? NYMF. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, best of luck on Friday. Thank you very much. And the last of the three Broadway Idol finalists (laughs) is here to answer the same questions. Katie Thompson, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Hey, where are you from originally? I'm from Utah, actually. Provo. And where did you study theater or voice? L.A. at the Academy of uh, Dramatic Arts. It was just acting, actually. I never studied voice. Who was your favorite teacher? Charles Lynn Frost from Mountain View High School in Utah. Really taught me the basis of everything I've ever known. So what is the favorite role you've ever played? I did this thing at the Tisch School of the Arts, and it was this show called Rainy Day People, and I got to play one actress playing two roles because it was kind of schizophrenic, Brillstein and Demeter. One is a psychiatrist and one is a news reporter. So what would your dream role be? If I were a big, tall, handsome black man, I would be Jim in Big River. All right, and what is your favorite musical? Big River. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your favorite musical theater performer? Bernadette Peters. I don't care what that woman does. She can do anything and I'll go see it. What do you find the hardest or most frustrating thing about auditions? That I can't read minds. That I can only go in there with the name of the show, the type of the show, and then fit my music for it. I could know I did well, but I, I never know if I, you know, fit their profile at all. What is the best day job you've held? The one I have right now. Mexicana Mama. (laughs) <laughs> I'm serious. I'm a waitress at Mexicana Mama. I love everybody I work with. Yeah, and I love the people that come in, and I love Mexican food, which is the point of being a waitress. It's free food. So what is the worst day job you've held? I think that would be a tie between cleaning houses for a living and the one day I worked at Taco Bell. Okay, now we got five rapid-fire questions, so just uh, okay. Weber or Sondheim? Weber. Spamalot or Spelling Bee? Spamalot. Tony Braxton or Usher? Usher. 
Playwrights Horizons or Roundabout? Roundabout. NYMF or Fringe Festival? NYMF. Jeez. That's easy. <laughs> All right. Well, best of luck this Friday Thank at the you. finals. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> You're welcome. For the final round this Friday, the singers will be doing two songs each. The assignment is to pick one song that made another performer famous and to pick a song that's going to make them famous. You can find out who wins by going to the New World Stages on Friday at 10 p.m. Tickets are only $10, and there's some great celebrity judges there as well, and it's a fun time. And if you've been to any of the New York Musical Theater Festival shows... Keep those ticket stubs because they'll get you two-for-one drinks at the performance as well. The winner gets a performance at Ars Nova to be promoted by Ars Nova and Nymph, and we're also giving them a couple hours studio time to record a demo. We'll also interview the winner a little bit more in depth and play some of those tracks from their demo so you can hear just how great the new Broadway idol is. Now on to Stump the Staff. As mentioned earlier, Brent Black asked, when the original production of Gypsy was trying out in Philadelphia... What was changed about Rose's turn? Well, Matthew from the Drama Bookshop lets us know that, reportedly, Hammerstein saw the show and recommended that Stein and Sondheim give Rose's turn a button, a high note that would allow the show to stop and give the audience a chance to applaud Ethel Merman. He felt that without a pause, the audience wouldn't be able to focus on the remaining pages of dialogue before the curtain came down. So there you go. But that's not the winning question. The winning question actually appears to have stumped the staff. So in order to claim his $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop, New Musical, who posted on the forum, needs to answer this question there. The question is, what is the difference between the music played on the piano in the Broadway and the UK productions of The History Boys? Are you stumped? Well... Check out the website soon to see if New Musical posts the answer to claim the $20 gift certificate. And if you would like to submit your trivia questions, just go to broadwaybullet.com. We have a few links in the forums where you can click and enter your question into Stump the Staff to win a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop. You don't have to be in New York. They ship internationally, and they always have the greatest selection online at dramabookshop.com or on 40th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. The staff is definitely top-notch, as you can tell, and can help with all your drama book needs. A famous crime from over 40 years ago in New York City is the subject of a famous psychological theory of crime, as well as the subject of a new musical, The Screams of Kitty Genovese. We have two of the people involved with the production here with us. How are you guys doing? Very good. Good, thank you. Would you like to take a quick moment to introduce yourselves, say what you do with the show? Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Will Todd. I wrote the score for the show. I'm from the UK. And I'm also a Brit. Uh, my name's David Edwards, and I'm the director of this production. So does one of you want to tell us a little bit about the screams of Kitty Genovese? Sure. <laughs> well, the, the, the crime is very famous. Um, Kitty Genovese lived in, in uh, Kew Gardens in Queens. And in 1964, she was stabbed to death outside her home, on her way home. And the story became very famous because um, a lot of her neighbours in the street later said that they had seen things from the window. They'd either seen her from the window or heard her screams, but none of them had called the police or made any attempt to intervene in the crime. So people were very shocked by this kind of apparent urban callousness, and it led on to the so-called Kitty Genovese syndrome, which is a, a psychological theory about why large groups of people don't do anything when they see 
um, a crisis of some kind and there are various aspects to this you know that they might assume that other people are going to do stuff and it seems to be the case in the theory at least that the more people witness something the less likely uh, any individual is to do anything so um, that's that's the the historical side of of the piece David Simpatico who is a New York playwright came to this story eight years ago and he was you know, struck by the dramatic possibilities of it because you've got a, a situation where you've got a group of people with their lives and you've got uh, a victim and a murderer with their lives and they, they come together at this fateful moment um, and there's, there's all these different passions potentially of what people might do, what people could do, what they couldn't do. So he's written this fantastic woven libretto in which you have these vignettes of each of the neighbours in their apartments. Some of them are in, are in couples and some of them are individuals and we kind of get to know them at the start of the show and we also get to know Kitty, who's going out for, for a night. And then, of course, when she returns, she meets her murderer in the street and their lives are all turned upside down. So what drew you to this project, David? I think it's a great piece of dramatic storytelling. It's like doing a Stephen King movie on stage. It's scary, it's terrifying. Are you sure? I was thinking Cole Porter, Can Can, you know, 40 no, seconds. Afraid, lines, I'm no, I'm afraid we're not in that category here. We're <laughs> talking dark material, um, which is very powerful, and it deals with a Im terribly important question about why do decent people turn around and, and turn their backs on a tragic incident that is taking place in front of them. And you've got to remember that in 1964 there was no 911 number. That number was actually created as a consequence of this murder in Kew Gardens. And 1964 in New York, people tell me it was, it was a cynical place to, to live. The economy was not good here in those days. March 1964 is a matter of months four months after the murder of JFK, the country was in a state of tension. And so this piece is, is examining why people in a very respectable neighborhood in Queens would ignore this poor woman as she screamed for 35 minutes and bled to death on the sidewalk. So it's very powerful stuff, and we, we've, we find it very intense in the rehearsal room. So we have to tell a lot of jokes to l lighten the atmosphere. Um, and Will's music is gripping and full of passion and intensity. And I think this is going to be a, a very different musical experience for, for the audience at St. Clement's next week. Well, before we continue, why don't we get a sampling of this from your uh, 2000 demo of the show. Do you want to introduce the first song we're going to play, Will? This is a section from uh, Just Another Night, which is the first kind of 25-minute period of the show in which the ordinariness of the neighbours' lives is being examined and we get to know them in all their kind of comic ordinariness. They, they all have stories to their lives. This is the, the end of that section. Vinny's kind of... Uh, you, you, it starts with Vinny. He's kind of bolstering himself up and then you hear all the neighbours kind of threading in with their themes and it kind of comes this big end just another night. Vinny, you friggin' moron. Be a man, be a man. Look the asshole in the eye. Take the bullshit by the horns. Mr. Saxon, half a minute, I got something on my mind. You're a slimy piece of ratchet alcoholic mama's boy. You're a brainless dick for brains, fat cock sucking freak. And I'll kick your hairy ass if I don't get that goddamn raise. Please? Now, half a minute, I got something on my mind. 
brain piece of rat shit. Unless you could eat and drown a nose on. I know that uh, Will's recently finished some of the orchestrations and uh, wanted to give a sense of the feel of the show, so we're going to kind of turn that on here and let that run under a little bit of our interview, so it's going to get very eerie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is just this is from the start of the show. It's kind of setting the scene, so, yeah. It sounds like a very, with all the apartments and stuff, it sounds like there must be some uh, creative staging happening to, to make this all work on stage. It's very compact, and yet it's what, what's important about the stage image is that we see all of the, the neighbours 
in, as it were, in their boxes. They're all living their compartmentalized lives. They have no communication with each other. They're isolated in, and inside a sort of hothouse of their own, and everybody's, all their tensions in their relationships are obviously affecting their attitudes towards what's happening outside. And so what we have to create in, on the stage is, is, is this feeling of people in glass houses. <laughs> and they also have to have a perspective out onto the street where, where, where Kitty is murdered, which is very interesting from, from a stage point of view. We don't have a, a sort of massive great tenement building on the stage. We, we can't run to that. But what, what's interesting for me is that the piece works in a very um, intimate and intense psychological fashion. And I believe that it's very clear from what we're looking at here what the story is. And of course that's my main job, is, is, is to make sure the storytelling is, is as clear as possible. And I'm having all these people crowded together and yet not able to communicate well, with each other. Well, it's interesting as well because, you know, living in the city for a couple of weeks, you're struck by how everyone lives on top of each other, you know, with the, 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 the way everyone's crammed in. You know, and this is what the piece is about in, in one sense, you know, people close together but so far away from each other. Do you know your neighbour? I mean, often one has never... You've passed them on the stairs, perhaps. Have you ever spoken to them? People don't, do they? they because people live essentially separate lives in the same place. It's easy to assume there's a community feel to, to a place, but is there? Because actually it's a group of individuals. And in 1964, there clearly was much less sense of community. There weren't community associations, there weren't active groups bringing people together to, to be socially cohesive. Well, the Scorpions, I haven't heard the whole thing yet, We just but as we were sifting through trying to find what to play with the show, it seems like the whole show, that it's not like song and song and it's a very seamless kind of match, I, I gather. It is. It, it is It is a truly through-scored show. The, the, there are seven complete numbers in it, which one will experience as a number, um, but there's a lot of through-composed material as well. It, it is song-style material because it's kind of vignettes of each neighbour and then they kind of build together as a mosaic. But, yeah, I mean, I, the, I always think uh, the worst thing you can do writing ever anything is to say that there's a set of rules that you have to obey because you've instantly just cut down your options by saying it has to be this thing and films are wonderfully fearless about drawing on anything that they need to create the effect which is why in the 20th century film has been so extraordinarily successful I believe because it has no fear of taking this musical feel and this image and you know, and putting these things together, and we we have to be that fearless in the theatre. We have to say this is an operatic moment, so that's operatic. This is a comic moment. This is what it's like. And I think also when you come out of this piece, you will be humming the tunes. I mean, there are very memorable numbers that Will has written, and you're going to play Winston in the Night in a moment, and that is our you know, that is a key thematic and very beautiful lyrical melody sung by a man who's preparing to go out and kill someone. And I find that completely captivating as a concept. Well, if people want to catch Screams of Kenny Genovese, where should they go and when? Theatre St. Clements, West 46th Street, between 9th and 10th Avenue, opens Tuesday 26th, runs through October 1st. Well, thanks for coming down in the middle of your rehearsal schedule and talking with the listeners at Broadway Bullet. Thank Pleasure. you. Winston Mosley late twenties and well-dressed, stands in the parking lot. So many stars
night so many beds in the dark so many windows without Somebody waiting Lonely, alone In the night heading home Aching There's somebody aching Somebody needing me Yearning, pleading me is waiting, waiting, lonely, alone, crying, hoping, waiting, yearning, praying, someone crying, You can also listen to Broadway Bullet at 8 p.m. on Thursdays and Tuesdays on broadwayworld.com radio. They also have a lot of other great theater programs and are constantly playing a mix of some of the best theater songs out there. And every day they have their top six at six by request. So check out broadwayworld.com and go to their radio page. Well, we're going to be back next week with interviews with the show's Drift. We're going to talk with Isaac Hurwitz, the executive producer of the New York Musical Theater Festival, for his take on wrapping up the series. And we got a few other choice little tidbits to close out our coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival. After that, we're going to be having a lot of great stuff. Keep spreading the words. Tell your friends about this program and help us out and show them how they can listen or subscribe to a podcast if they don't know what one is yet. Be first to the party. Start visiting our forums. Start posting. And eventually people will come because we've got a lot of listeners. And you'll be able to meet a lot of great friends. And you'll have something in common to talk about. This program, besides other theater. Well, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And I'll catch you again next week on the Broadway Bullet. 
So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.